Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friends, Zach Kmack. Hello, everybody. And Alex Whiteclay. Hello. Alex, thanks for coming back on the show. As always, it is a pleasure to be here. All right. Well, we have final week's worth of spoilers to talk about. Uh, there's a bunch of new commanders, a bunch of new cards. We can give you our overall impressions of the deck. I know that a lot of people were upset about Commander 2018. We can talk about how it compares to last year's product. But before we jump into our discussion, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and access sweet rewards for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Okay, back to today's topic. There's a lot to talk about with all these decks. We're going to talk about it from a high level, and then we'll get into the commanders, and then we'll get into the main deck cards. This is going to be a week's worth of commutes for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I wanted to, to start off by talking about, the head of the design team recently released an article talking about the design philosophy of Commander 2019 edition. And as part of it, they laid out what the goals were for the product. So this is a great metric for us to determine the the success of the product. Now that we know their goals, did they execute on them? So the first goal was to introduce Commander. How do you guys think that this set of precons fares as an introductory product? I suppose that it might just be difficult to introduce Commander. The design team (laughs) certainly made an accessible product from the looks of it, but how does one successfully introduce a player to a 99-card singleton format with multiplayer politics if all they've ever played is 60-card, consistent four-ofs, standard Magic? If you're already playing Magic and you just never played Commander for whatever reason, yeah, these decks are a great intro to that. But kind of like you said, like, I would not hand a new player one of these lists or any of the old commander lists and be like, all right, we're going to learn some magic because not only, like you said, are you learning a vast amount of cards, you're also learning like multiplayer politics. You're learning about all these mechanics and like how mechanics interact. You're learning about like rules interactions that most magic players don't even have to deal with in a normal like standard or even like in modern, like a lot of rules interactions don't come up. Having played a fair amount of each of the commander products out of the box, just you're going to arrive at a situation where either you're playing the decks as dual decks, which I don't necessarily think they're designed to be played as, Mm -hmm. or you're going to be sitting down where only one of the four people or five people at the table are new to the format. (laughs) And that can be especially intimidating if you are coming in and there are four people who are wheeling and dealing and you're sitting there expecting just to declare attacks and cast removal. Do you think these Commander Precons could hold their own if you brought them to a random kitchen table? Actually, yes. There's usually one or maybe two of the decks a year that can kind of hang. I remember the mono color list. Someone sat down with just the mono red deck. They played Magic, never played Commander, bought the mono red deck, brought it to a night, and they won. And these are people with like fairly tuned lists, and it's just because that's how multiplayer kind of goes. But also, like they had stuff to do. Right, so I wonder to what extent that is the decks and to what extent that is just multiplayer (laughs) rewarding being the third most dangerous player at the table yeah (laughs) i mean it it was definitely the deck too like they made plays like they meaningfully interacted and it was like they were playing magic i remember that one really impressed me a lot i think that most of these decks could hold their own it seems like gear red would be pretty solid for generating a strong aggressive board angie 
Anya. The jury's still out on the pronunciation. Yeah, but why? I think that that deck could do a lot because it has like this card filtering aspect out of the command zone that comes down really early. And it's great as a rattlesnake card. It almost feels like you're playing a blue deck because you're able to react so well to what your opponents are doing. Oh, you want to attack me? Okay, discard this huge demon, madness it in, block, you take a ton of damage. I also think that the morph deck has a lot of play. Mm -hmm. Like, it's such a strong card draw engine, and the selection of morphs in the deck is is pretty solid. Yeah. There's only one deck that I think would not be able to hang, but I will reserve my judgment on that one for a little bit yeah we'll talk about it right that might be a deck that we just need to see in action to figure out what the heck it's doing the second goal of the design team was inspire new decks so they asked themselves a couple of questions which color combinations lack commanders which tribes need a commander what archetypes could use a new commander and what archetypes could exist in a different color combination would you say that these products filled in gaps in the format and created new archetypes? Created new archetypes, certainly. I think that there are definitely commanders here that do things no commander's ever done before that let people do things that you weren't able to do before in commander. I think these commanders did a good job of like broadening what you can do in the format in general. On our previous episode, I spoke a little bit about how the red-black Anya list is that the consensus we're going with Anya I don't like May. Anya Anya Deathless already... Angel exists and it was in a previous so I'll say Angie pre-con. for the sake of <laughs> I clarity. like I'm gonna go with Angie until I get told not to say Angie <laughs> there you go okay so Angie right it allows an archetype that was a staple at kitchen tables to be a deck in commander it introduced something new maybe the most exciting thing falls under the bullet point of which archetype could use a new commander and Boy, howdy, did Kamena deliver on giving morphs mm. an actual mm-hmm. proper says morph on the card commander. Red token generation is pretty fun. It was pretty underserved before. I would even say Chainer. Black Red, for whatever reason, has had not a super good reanimator commander. When you look at like the Despite suite it being of them, like, surprising. should be the best color identity. Yeah, for it. It, right. I think that Chainer existing is amazing for Thractos players and just like the format because all of a sudden you have the best reanimator commander like he does everything you need right there i am so pleased with this set of decks in terms of giving commander players more things to do there's more Mm -hmm. places they can explore in the format now yeah so i would say for this goal of inspiring new decks i think they hit it out of the park yeah definitely i totally agree yeah there there might be maybe one or two that we'll complain about in a moment but i mean on the whole so many of the new commanders are exploring excellent new space the third goal of the design team was to support existing decks and i'll give you a couple bullet points quoted from the article to give you a sense of what that means ideally every color combination in commander feels viable and we try to include a card or two in each product to bolster mono white decks while staying true to white's color pie another point when certain cards or strategies are too popular or frustrating we try to add more answers to the format Effects like Cyclonic Rift and Commanders with Hexproof are two classic examples. So do you think that the new cards in these decks address the problems of the format in terms of like color balance and frustrating gameplay? I don't know that I'll play any of these mono-white cards. I don't know that they're really doing the mono-white thing in the way the mono-white deck wants to do it. If that was one of their stated goals, I'm not necessarily sure they, they met it here. 
I kind of agree with you. I think that they're giving the white cards don't help. They didn't really address any of the problems. They didn't really reprint multiple effects. So you can't get like a critical mass of things. They made some cool cards. Savine's reclamation seems like the clearest attempt at them providing a new mono white staple. Yeah. But I don't think it really solves the problem of mono white. Mono white has a decent number of ways to recur things and like sort of react to your opponent's removal. I think that white's biggest problem is in building up its own game plan, doing things proactively as opposed to like, I'm going to react to your stuff by destroying it, or I'm going to react to your removal by regrowing my creatures, reanimating, whatever. White could really use card draw or ramp. Savine's Reclamation does work as a sort of ramp in the sense that you could play a fetch land, crack it, and then get it back with Savine's Reclamation, and now you're up a land. But the problem is, like, the rate is not good. Like, you don't want to pay three mana for one additional land. That's pretty comparable to, like, a Dark Steel Ingot, which doesn't really see play. It has to be a competitive rate. And and I'm wondering, like, maybe playing more in the, the space of Planar Birth or Splendid Reclamation would be a white thing that would be more proactive and you could, like, push down the, the mana cost, get it at a bit more aggressive, and it would feel like you're rebuilding rather than going out of my library and getting a land onto the battlefield. I, I do 100% agree that Splendid Reclamation in white makes, like, a ton of sense. Because I've been playing the Planar Rebirth, the, like, white one i was playing that in my noyandar deck while that was kind of going and felt white as hell as i mentioned last week right like white seems to be kind of trying to be the second best ramp color just go ahead and <laughs> lean into it if it has to be on the condition that you're playing lands out of your graveyard and that's how you're getting your extra lands for the turn so be it yeah there's also fall of the thran which was printed in dominaria yeah. first chapter is destroy all lands the second and third chapter each player returns two land cards from their graveyard to the battlefield so it's been in white's color pie in the past you have to build your mana base in order to enable it but the reward is pretty solid i'll make note of the fact that they did print a couple of blue cards that get around hexproof and i think that's probably a good thing last goal from the design team is surprise and delight they elaborated on this by, by saying popular and or deceased story characters, commander-specific effects, and new cards for old mechanics. How do you all think that they delivered on surprise and delight? Well, I actually was surprised and delighted pretty much every day. Some days I was surprised and not delighted. <laughs> <laughs> but most of the time, like I think they picked great characters to bring back. I think it was a really smart move to go with the characters from the Weatherlight Saga, just because that was a period in Magic's history where they didn't necessarily know that anyone would care about a downside mechanic so much Mm -hmm. years down the line, right? Because Legendary was just bad then. It was nothing, nothing good for you. The fact that they're revisiting these characters that the cards just are not represented in the format makes it so that we can kind of feel more connected to the history of Magic's story arc. That's exciting. That's, That's a cool thing. And I mean, a lot, a lot of them, as we'll talk about today, seem like they will be cards that even if you don't see them a lot, if you build the deck, you will have fun with it. A lot of Magic players play for like nostalgia and a lot of Magic players play and talk about these characters and like the good old days and stuff. And I think printing these old characters in this new way does is it gives new players and old players like a bridge 
to kind of be like, oh, Grieven is really cool. Or like, oh man, Gerard, like this guy's awesome. You can kind of unify this like group of people that started playing maybe like with the Innistrad boom and the people who played prior to that, like who've been maybe playing as long as we have and like have seen all these characters and their story arcs and stuff. So I am really pleased with how they executed on a lot of these returning story characters. I'm really tickled by Grevin's design. Yeah. <laughs> Volrath is much cooler and more flavorful now than he had been previously. So I was surprised and delighted. What are your overall feelings about this set of precons? And how do you feel about the individual decks? Okay, we're complaining. It's time to complain, All right, let's, everybody. Let's I, on the whole, am very happy with what's going on in them the new cards are all for the most part really cool the commanders are all really interesting and do something cool there's one deck that i'm kind of feeling a little down on flashback i think we all are flashback flashback Flashback. and Mm. and the other thing is the reprints Mm. and that's honestly a problem because the first barrier to entry for magic is learning like you can get an intro deck real easy for free at a shop and and they can teach you how to play the second is price and when there's a price divide or when cards you want to play with are 10 20 30 dollars because they haven't been reprinted it gets harder to get your friends into the game and it gets harder to introduce people to the game so i think the reprint problem is just going to be exacerbated by this product and kind of to pile on to that if there is a performance gap too mm-hmm. based on card price then that might create situations where someone wants to get into the game and just for whatever reason the cards that are good enough to hang in the big leagues are prohibitively expensive mm-hmm. that might end up pushing players away and that's definitely not something yeah that we want for the format i almost always get the entire set of decks i, I really love precon magic <laughs> i'm kind of weird in that regard <laughs> But the decks that I tend to enjoy the most whenever they make these precons are the ones that have the most unexplored space. It, it plays like a deck I've never seen before. So like last year, right, the Anamatsu deck out of the box was the weirdest experience. It was really interesting to care about the top card of my library that much in a game of Commander. But Madness and Morph in particular are the kinds of things that, you know, unless you were playing a very specific deck in the case of Morph, there wasn't a madness deck before mm-hmm. this. Yeah. So the fact that these are going to be completely fresh experiences in Commander is really exciting to me. Yeah, I look forward to playing with those decks especially, but I think all of them look like they're going to create interesting interactions. Yeah, I just want to dive into some of these decks a little bit more deeply. The Morph deck looks so awesome. I think it yeah. was, I believe it was the first deck that they spoiled, which was smart of them because it's so strong. In terms of the heavy hitter morphs, the morphs that are most fun to play with, that do the most, that are most relevant in Commander, almost all of them made it into this deck. You've got your Chrome Shell Crab, Vesuvian Shapeshifter, you got your Bane of the Living, mm-hmm. Willbender, your Ixodron, yeah. Den Protector. It's Thousand Winds. Yeah, it's, it's all like the, the good, cool morphs, Nantuko Vigilante. The, the ones that are great at interacting with your opponents and doing big things in the game. Also, this deck has seven rare lands in it, mm-hmm. which I was hoping would be indicative of all of them, all yeah. of the three color decks at least, to turned out not to be the case. But it's like, this is a real mana base. Yeah, they really should just do that for all of the decks, especially if they want it to be an intro product. Like, mm-hmm. if, especially if they're trying to get newer players into Commander give them the ability to play their cards yeah right there's just no reason you can't you know put like dragon skull summit in the red black yeah exactly you know 
Yeah. Uh, it also has like a, a bunch of great ramp options. It's got Thran Dynamo, Farsi, Cultivate, Urban Evolution, like cards that you will not be embarrassed to play. I, it really feels like somebody loved this deck and wanted it to succeed. This is like really what I want a Commander Precon to look like. Commander Precons don't have to be insane value, tons of format staples. They can just be like this have a couple format staples, like no cards that really seem like a bad rate, mm-hmm. a reasonable mana base. This is an awesome deck. I'm really pleased with it. Yeah. And it is those kinds of decks, the ones that like right out of the box, they're going to be fun. They're going to be interactive. They're going to be something new that are going to be great introductory products to the commander format. If we can find opportunities in the future, maybe to have decks that are something that one of the designers really loves, then maybe we can see a repeat of this kind of a performance. Mm -hmm. While it doesn't have as many of the positive qualities as the Morph deck, the Madness deck is also really cool. Like A lot of the new cards in there are neat. All of the commanders are strong and interesting. It's got pretty much every Madness card that you would expect to see in a Madness Precon. All of the good ones are here. And I was even fairly impressed with the new Madness cards that were printed as well because there was sort of a a low-to-the-ground quality of a lot of the older Madness cards. So Mm -hmm. the fact that they created a few designs that feel like they're playing on like the commander power level Mm -hmm. was a really nice thing to see. The Populate deck, I was fine with. Not enough otherworldly journeys for your taste. (laughs) (laughs) I think that... There were some things that just felt silly because of the design of the face commander. Like making tokens that are smaller than a 4-4 Rhino just felt like a waste of time. I'll agree to that. The one thing that I thought was interesting with that deck that it's going to play out of the boxes is that they did a good job of putting like weird tokens that you actually would want to populate in it. That's the kind of like cleverness that I think they're trying to like sneak into these things. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I'll I, have a I, lot to say on one of these in particular. Yeah, I'm not I'm going to do that. I'm not super excited to play that deck in particular, but I can see what they were going for. Then let's let's talk about this flashback. <laughs> let's talk about this. <sighs> so first thing though, I do want to say about the flashback is that this has like the new cards in this deck are really cool it has the the red harmonize it has the little goblin guy i really liked the new cards that they printed for this deck so ultimately i think the deck suffers because as we kind of discussed last week the design on the face commander doesn't really do what you need it to do in the colors that it is yeah Mm -hmm. what could they have put in this deck that would make more sense than drawing into some win condition maybe i mean they got their una's grace they got their think twice they got their farm yeah. to market like these right. are all They're... cards i would expect to put in this deck yeah they are running the cards that draw you the cards into what and it's the same i mean it's the same issue we discussed last week really some of the cards that we specifically called out as this is a powerful card that you can cast out of your graveyard but it doesn't do anything with your commander they are in the deck yeah yeah what the heck (laughs) it's baffling why do they have divine reckoning in here when flashing it back does nothing with your commander out or more importantly when they were testing this deck how did they not go oh maybe we need to change this design so that these powerful flashback cards are not do nothings in this deck yeah Mm -hmm. also like the inclusion of some of them so like ray of distortion that's not at a level I would play in Commander, even if it does have flashback. It's just four mana, instant, destroy target, artifact, or enchantment, and it flashes back for six. How about Purify the Grave? Yeah. How about <laughs> Purify the Grave? Like, why are they... Why? Like, why? Like, oh, cool, I exiled two things. 
Whoa. Or like prismatic strands. It's mm-hmm. it's a fog. That one I'm guessing they reprinted for Popper, but there's probably yeah, better places was, to print it for Popper. Or here we go. Fervent Denial. Three blue blue for a counterspell. Flashback five blue blue. Yeah, seven What games of Commander are they playing that they think that people are going to want to have an answer that costs seven mana to one spell? If you're not in green, you're not doing it for sure. Yeah. You might you might do it in your blue green deck. You're not doing it here. <laughs> yeah. And, and unless you're fighting opposing counter spells, copying that with Savine also does nothing. Right. No, yeah. There's a lot of weird little things like that. There's just some weird choices and it doesn't seem like it's going to play as fluidly as the other ones. It's kind of funny that this is by far the weakest deck out of this crop. Is it fair to say that? I agree with that. I'm going to reserve judgment until I play them. Sometimes I get surprised, right? I was very unexcited for Lord Wind Grace. The deck plays just fine. But from the look of it, it appears to be doing the least of any of the decks, yes. Also, Zedru the Great Hearted. Would you say that that precon was the weakest out of that crop of deck? I'm not going to speak to that subject. <laughs> I didn't play that one. I would agree with you, Nick. I did play those decks, and that was the one that uh, I was I, lost. I have seen Zedru not be able to compete with, with the other precons from that year. Mm-hmm. And similarly, Kineos and Tiro of Miletus, mm-hmm. which is from the 2016 decks, the four-color decks. It's every color except black. And that one could not compete with it. It seems to be a common theme that when they have decks with both white and red in them, <laughs> they are much, much worse than their competitors. Have you have you noticed this? <laughs> in terms of the precons or in terms, in terms of, of the pre-cons. just sitting down at a game of commander? No, because I've noticed both. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I think I would think that's fair to say that a little bit lacking. I will say though, personally the two commanders that i think i'm most excited about from this set both of them are red and white so the precon as it is out of the box might be a bit of a fixer upper but i think that out of the set we are still getting some technology that allows that color combination oh, yeah. to do well, something. i mean like i said like the the just guide deck this time around has like most of the new cards that i want out of it yeah. which that's because i'm least excited about playing well, you'll just be okay with tearing the deck apart, I guess. I usually don't keep them together too long. <laughs> I don't know if any more points you want to bring up. I think we are pretty far into this episode and have not really discussed any card. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we'll depth. be here a while. So let's go ahead and jump into the commanders from this last week of previews. Can we start with Atla Palani, Nest Tender? Yeah. This is one red, green, white for a 2-3 human shaman. She has two tap, create a zero one green egg creature token with defender. She also has whenever an egg you control dies, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I mean, this is a new archetype for this color, for sure. Polymorph has been specifically the wheelhouse of blue and then recently red. So seeing a Naya commander do this is interesting. I think there's like a few different builds of the deck. I think the most powerful one is probably just like you get your Blightsteel. I think that's just usually the most powerful version of Polymorph mm-hmm. is you get your one stupid dude and you mm-hmm. kill someone. But I think there's like actually some interesting tech and builds for this deck. One that seemed really interesting was going in on Egg Tribal, running not only the other eggs in these colors, but also a bunch of changelings. So what you can do is run a bunch of sack outlets, 
run a bunch of changelings, sacrifice a changeling, you flip until you hit another egg or a changeling, and you can keep doing that, generating whatever your sack outlet generates until you hit your pulmonic sliver. <laughs> Get ready. And for those who aren't familiar with it, pulmonic sliver is three white white for a three three sliver. All slivers have flying and whenever this creature dies, you may put it on top of your library. So if you have pulmonic sliver out and atla out and a changeling, you can sacrifice that changeling, stack it so that it gets put on top of your library, and then you flip into it with Atlas ability. So it's infinite sacrifice fodder for whatever your sack outlet does. And I would just add, it's kind of exciting to see a polymorph style commander that can play creatures, because usually you can't. You need token generators and then whatever the one creature is you're trying to hit. But with Atlapuani, you can play all your eggs, play all your changelings, and that allows you to like maintain a board presence mm -hmm. until such time as you want to do the polymorph thing. When it's time to crack some eggs. Right, exactly. Another thing I want to mention is not only does this combo produce infinite of whatever your sack outlet generates, but because irregular cohort exists, you can flip until you hit irregular cohort and then oh, generate infinite 2-2 mm -hmm. shapeshifter tokens and that can be your route to victory even if your sack outlet isn't generating something you can really use the next commander we're going to be talking about is chainer nightmare adept this is two black red for a 3-2 human minion he has discard a card you may cast a creature card from your graveyard this turn activate this ability only once each turn he also has whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control if you didn't cast it from your hand, it gains haste until your next turn. I'm pretty excited about this card. I think that this might be a more successful madness commander in the sense that you want to play cards that have madness than even Anya Falconwraith. With Anya, right, you're cycling through the deck kind of as we discussed last week. But with Chainer, you're discarding cards as an actual cost. You are attempting to get an upside, which is casting a creature from your graveyard this turn, by discarding a card. In order to minimize the downside of that discarding, you're going to just naturally gravitate to cards with Madness. You're not going to play the bad ones necessarily. You're not looking for every card with Madness, but you're looking for the ones that are worth playing. And the fact that the second ability also synergizes with cards with Madness, since Madness kind of has a weird mechanic where you exile the card and you cast it from exile. So you don't cast them from your hand. Therefore, any creature with madness that you cast when Chainer's on board will end up getting haste. And the nice thing about this, right, is you can discard a card only once per turn, but you can do that on other people's turns too. So you still get mm -hmm. the same kind of rattlesnake effect that you get with Anya or Angie. We landed <laughs> on Angie. You can say, I'm going to discard this kill spell i can cast a creature from my graveyard this turn that's not actually true but it doesn't matter i'm just trying to get the instant speed timing on this kill spell and you're you're fine with that like that that was what made angie appealing as a madness commander in the first place you still have that here even not using like a madness card looking at this through the, the fair lens you like pitch your shieldred to cast your burnish art again early in the game and then late in the game, you pitch your Burnish Heart to cast your Shieldred late in the game. This card flows perfectly into itself, regardless of what you're doing. And it's, that's awesome. That's wonderful. And it is, it's nice that the, the floor on this, right, is to discard a creature and then cast yeah. that creature and give it haste. At minimum, that line of play is possible on each of your turns. So 
that's pretty exciting. I, th I think this will be a card that will be interesting to play with and against. Yeah, I think we'll see it a decent amount. This is Elsha of the Infinite, a 3-3 Jin Monk for two blue, red, white. They have Prowess. They also have You May Look at the Top Card of Your Library at Any Time. They also have You May Cast the Top Card of Your Library if it's a non-creature, non-land card, and you may cast it as though it had Flash. This is another commander that I'm very excited about. So for a long time, there was kind of this hole in my heart for a Jeskai kind of spell slinger deck. I ended up building Feather because, you know, that seemed close enough, right? You lose blue, but you beggars get, can't be choosers. Yeah, you get a lot of cards going. But had this been printed first, right? This is this is the spell slinger that Shu Yun was a little too focused on combat and Narset was a little too focused on being busted to be if you want that but on the flip side there's very very powerful interactions that can also this i think a pretty standout option yeah i um, actually really really like this card too. yeah so specifically with sensei's divining top this thing becomes <laughs> an absolute powerhouse the first level here is the top can rearrange your top three cards which means that you can make it so that your top card is a non-creature non-land so that you can cast it but beyond that, even, with Sensei's Divining Top, the second ability on that is to draw a card and then put the top on top of your library. Once it's on top of your library, you can cast it again. For one mana, you're drawing a card, getting a prowess trigger. That seems very powerful on its own. There are several effects that can make Sensei's Divining Top one less mana. So if you do that, right, you can draw your entire library, make your commander large enough to just one-shot somebody. And on top of that, the, the commander's got several like really neat tricks like academy ruins and a hall of heliod's generosity let you flash things out of your graveyard oh yeah thought lash in so many words allow you to exile the top cards so you don't get stuck on lands another thing that i really like in this deck another cool piece of tech is mana severance mana severance is one of the blue for a sorcery lets you search your library for any number of land cards and exile them that makes it so that you can't fizzle your combo by just having too many lands on top of your deck you can just continue to cast cards because at a certain point you don't really need to draw lands anymore especially if you're trying to dig for combo pieces and such and the fact that just any zero mana artifact mm -hmm. cheerio maybe any <laughs> cheerio is just gonna let you draw right past it is a really nice feature of the deck if you're trying to push this into more competitive territory yeah it's it's very similar to joyra weather like captain in a lot of ways and honestly, yeah. this is one of the situations where they probably could have just made this mono blue and all of those abilities would still be acceptable on the card. But <laughs> hey, if they want to give us two more colors, I guess. No, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty into it too. It's okay. They're not that strong as colors. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we can finally have red and white getting a playable effect. So this is Greven Predator Captain. This is a 5-5 five five human warrior for three black red. He has menace. He gets plus X plus O where X is the amount of life you've lost this turn. And then whenever Greven attacks, you may sacrifice another creature. If you do, draw cards equal to that creature's power and lose life equal to that creature's toughness. So I built this deck and it goes hard. Yes, uh, it's, it's so really, cool. really easy to build your mana base in a way that makes it pretty simple to pump them up. I mean, just like Tarnish Citadel and Hull the Bandit Lord will get you there. Most of the way. <laughs> yeah. There's also so many cards in these colors that allow you to get a cheaper effect than it is worth by paying life to sort of make up the difference. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for example, you've got your snuff out, which allows you to destroy a non-black creature just by paying for life, no mana required. 
There's Vendetta, destroy a non-black creature, and you lose life equal to its toughness for a single black mana. Wicked Pact, Ashes to Ashes, There's Reckless a, Spite. A bunch of these, yeah. There's so many. I, I, I could go on and on. Fire Covenant. There's also a lot of cards in this color identity, of course, that can pay life to draw cards. You're basically running all of these life-paying effects, these, these suicide red and black effects, as it has been referred to in the past. There's also a lot of really enormous creatures that have drawbacks that you don't really care about because he's going to sack them immediately. So like Grevin no longer has summony sickness. You drop your Phyrexian Soul Gorger, which is a three cost eight, eight, and then crack in with him. You draw eight cards, lose eight life. Grevin is enormous. Yeah. And I really enjoy that, actually. You're not necessarily sure if you want low toughness or high toughness creatures mm -hmm. because losing the life is an active upside yeah. with this guy <laughs> which is as you say like a really fun take on an archetype in red black where you just throw away whatever resources you can because if you win you win of course there's a lot of ways to build around his his high power you're on color to give him double strike really easily you're on color to give him infect really easily you can also just give him lifelink and gain back all the life you paid. You don't actually have to be losing out yeah. or like putting yourself in real danger. Yeah, you're not actually in. like on a clock when you play this deck because you can just give him lifelink. Also, I love, love, love that Cosmic Larva finally has Ooh, a home. Yeah. So <laughs> listeners at home, you don't need to know what it does. It's just huge. It's just this huge it's a seven six right card. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for like three. Yeah, three mana. And uh, you know it has some text. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Just don't just sack it. Don't don't start yeah, a turn with don't, it. Don't don't yeah, let don't your it. yeah. Don't go to your upkeep with it. That's what I'm I'm warning you. Don't do that. But you will draw a lot of cards and hit someone really hard with a lot of these cards too. There's a bunch of just like really cheap dudes with downsides. Yeah, lupine prototype. That's yeah. another sweet one. Yeah. <laughs> Two mana for a five five wolf construct. It can't attack or block unless a player has no cards in his hand. Well, that doesn't matter because he's just going to get fed, fed, going to, to get edicted. Yeah, quite the opposite of no cards in hand is mm -hmm. going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, get that guy out of there. And I think all of us caught the reference to Hatred and were extremely pleased oh, by yeah. it. Oh, oh yeah. yes, yes, yes. Hatred, it's a card that people see a lot of and might be one of the only places a lot of commander players are familiar with Grevin. And so having such a potent and obvious callback is going to create that bridge from like the older players who remember fondly all of these characters and the new players who only know them you know by reputation or by like passing reference yeah so this deck rips i'm super happy about it yeah and the list will be posted in the description of this episode so yeah. if you want to take a look maybe get a head start on your grevin deck check it out the next guy this is grismold the dread sower he is a 3-3 Troll Shaman for one black green. He has Trample. At the beginning of your end step, each player creates a 1-1 green plant creature token. And then he has whenever a creature token dies, but a plus one plus one counter on Grismold, the Dread Sower. I, can't, I don't know. He inhabits this space like between like like group hug and stuff. But just kidding. You probably just want to run like Engineered Plague and like Illness in the Ranks and Night of Souls Betrayal. Yeah. And have him enter as zero zeros. And yeah. So then all the plants enter immediately die. He gets a plus one plus one counter for yeah. each of your guys that died and gets very large. But that's not super interesting. So we're not really going to talk about him too much. If you were like, man, I really wanted a really big black green beater and I didn't want to play Ruhan Last of the Abzan or Hogak or Skullbriar. Yeah, any of these didn't like wet your whistle enough. Then give this guy a try, I guess. And uh, 
I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're going to move on to the next guy. This is Marisi, Breaker of the Coil. Costs one red, green, white for a 5-4. It's a legendary cat warrior. Your opponents can't cast spells during combat. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, goad each creature that player controls. And for those unfamiliar, goad is until your next turn, those creatures attack each combat if able and attack a player other than you if able. We have a few friends who are very excited for this. A very close friend of mine and me worked through making some lists for this guy over the course of the week. And if you really, really liked Gahiji, it's probably going to look very similar to that. You probably should just run Gahiji. <laughs> I mean, I do understand the appeal of goading. It's a very, very popular keyword. It's a very popular keyword. Game action? Yeah, someone know. correct us, let us know. But the fact that he's just like a 5-4 four for 4, like the first line of text isn't like, I have to fog before you enter combat. It's going to make your opponents that don't want to lose to you have to discuss like what they're being forced to do and yeah. just make plans before combat. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of like, before you go into combat, you're going to attack me and then you go, I don't know. And then they go, okay, well, I'm going to kill your guy. <laughs> right. Or if they're being being smart about it they'll just kill marisi and mm -hmm. solve the problem yeah exactly because goading can be very powerful and i understand that it's very fun but like these colors are not super good for sneaking things in there there's like you got your white spirits but i don't think that's good i don't think you want to run that yeah and just as a general rule I i'm personally not a fan of relying on my opponents making a certain line of play so in this case they have to have creatures mm -hmm. or goading doesn't do anything and they're going to have their commander, presumably, so there might be an issue of them making a bad attack with their commander. But if you're playing your Marisi, they might just hold off on playing any meaningful attacks or whatever until yeah. they can sort out the problem of getting goaded every turn. I want everyone to note in their head, 5-4 four for 4. I just want everyone to think about that and ruminate on that for a bit. This card is extremely close to Bassandra Battle Seraph. Oh, <laughs> anyone remember her? Uh, I do, but I don't think most people listening know. Yeah, on, only because I remember it being printed, not because I've seen it on the I've battlefield seen, since I've, it was printed. I've seen it. We had one friend make it because it was Tribal Angels in red, white. Bassandra Battle Seraph, originally <laughs> printed as a tertiary commander in Commander 2011. Mm -hmm. She is three red, white for a 4 4 angel. She has flying. Players can't cast spells during combat, and she can pay red to make target creature attack this turn if able. So extremely similar. Her abilities are only slightly different from what this new guy is doing for you. Yep. And just to give you a little bit of context, I'm just going to count how many Boros commanders there are. 26. Of those 26, she is number... 19 in popularity <laughs> so extremely unpopular commander i would say is mm -hmm. that is that fair to say yeah, yeah. And, i would agree to that and so they take that extremely unpopular design and then add one more color to it and then put it in this new precon. i do think the fact that it says goad is gonna make this more popular people are gonna try to play this guy more than becerra well it's a face commander in a precon. people are gonna try it for sure yeah, people are going to try it, but I, I also think that like it's literally because goad. People love goad so much. People love goading so much that... Yeah, far more than target creature must attack, presumably though, because they are safe from the attack. Yeah, I, I It feels like you're kind of pulling the rug out. I agree with you. I think that we're not going to see this card do numbers mm -hmm. like some of the other face cards are going to. 
I'm just disappointed in it from a design standpoint. I mean, there is something to be said for, I don't think we executed on this idea right the first time. So let's, let's do it again. And, and that's how you get devotion or something. But also I, I just don't think there was a lot of promise in this suite of abilities. And so I'm not excited to see it again. Next card. Significantly more excited. It is Pramicon Sky Rampart. It is blue, red, white for a 1-5 legendary wall. The first of its kind. The first. Flying Defender. As Pramicon enters the battlefield, choose left or right. Each player may attack only the nearest opponent in the chosen direction and planeswalkers controlled by that opponent. Does that text seem familiar to you all? Yeah, one of those pillow board no. enchantments, right? So yeah. this is essentially the text of Mystic Barrier, which was originally printed in Commander 2013. And I got to say, as someone who complains about pillow fort a lot and how bad it is, I think Mystic Barrier is very good. No, that is the best. I agree with you that that is the best pillow fort effect. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And a big part of it is like it doesn't say people can't attack yeah. that just really annoys people yeah. <laughs> but it's just okay just go that way and then the aggro players are still happy that they're lowering somebody's life total yeah it's very funny well and the other thing right is with mystic barrier you just resign yourself to the fact that in order to kill the person mystic barrier says you cannot attack you're gonna have to go through yeah. however many <laughs> life totals and you will try to do that which works great for the person playing mystic barrier mm-hmm. because you go hmm like if this had been propaganda you would be paying two to attack me i know you would mm-hmm. <laughs> come I... pay the two and attack me with propaganda just got to get through 80 life worth of board and then you can attack me i like this for multiple reasons the first one is that people can stop complaining that they want to play vent sentinel and edh i don't want to hear about it anymore this it's sounds like years. a really zach kind of issue i hear about this <laughs> all the time when i play in shops i have friends who like are like why can't i play vent sentinel like when arcades is printing they're like why can't i play vent sentinel it's like do you want to play vent sentinel <laughs> rise limited was great that's the thing i'm most happy for with this guy is that i don't need to hear about that anymore this is actually just good like this is probably the best version of this nick has an idea of how to build it but to get the tech out of the way if you can make another primicon perhaps with a sakashima the imposter or or a spark spark double double, uh, then you can pick the other direction you said and then no one can attack until left equals right which generally is when there's two players yeah so until there's only you and someone else in the game no one can attack and it only takes one other card in your commander so that's that's cool yeah, you can also just run uh, Mystic Barrier itself. Yeah, you could run Mystic Yeah, there That's you go. a very hard pillow. So here is how I think you could build this deck. I think some people are going to try to build Wall Tribal. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. I think this is a great Super Friends commander. Yes, can I caveat? You can do it if you want, but like... I don't think it's the strongest it's, way yeah. to build Primacon. Maybe, maybe add some Planeswalkers and see how they do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You're just going to not have a good time unless you're in like the most casual meta. Like you're going to vent Sentinel someone for like four. So just don't do that. But uh, yes, Planeswalkers, they're very highly recommended. Yes. So this card not only protects you, it also protects your Planeswalkers. And that really is all Planeswalkers kind of need in order to be effective in Commander. Like the the worst part about Planeswalkers is just how fragile they are. If you can solve for that, then you just have these value engines. This is going to be, I actually think Just Guys Super Friends is an interesting list. And Mm -hmm. it like does a lot of the really fun things that Planeswalkers do. It is kind of cool for this design that they left black out because that really lets the red Planeswalkers as your removal suite really shine. I also want to say that 
this is a really good color identity for Super Friends. Possibly possibly the best. Mm -hmm. If you're going to pick three colors, I think this might be the best. And the reason I say that is because time warp effects work really, really well with Planeswalkers. Yeah. Just getting an extra activation on all of them. You're also on color for Jokelhaups and Obliterate effects. These mass destruction things that kill everything except, fortunately, your Planeswalkers. Yeah. And if all that is on the board is like your Jace the Mind Sculptor and your Ugin, I don't see you losing that game. Yeah. <laughs> and White, of course, offers some great pillow fort effects like Mystic Barrier. It also offers really great board control. There's things like Akroma's Vengeance that destroys pretty much everything but lands and planeswalkers, which, while not as good as Jokelhops, will get you most of the way there. It'll do some good work for you. The other thing I would say maybe about white is that on the off chance, the person on the one side of you that maybe both sides of you has a really aggressive deck, white's going to be able to clear out a board in a pinch. We have a list for that, and it's going to be in the episode description. Go ahead and check it out if you'd like to see how to go about building that. So next commander, Ryami, first of the fallen. Now, we did ask you to remember four mana for a 5-4. Yeah. Ryami is a... 5-4 four for 4 vampire. 1 black, green, blue. If a non-token creature would die, exile that card with a blood counter on it instead. As long as an exiled creature card with a blood counter on it has flying, Rayami First of the Fallen has flying. The same is true for First Strike, Double Strike, Death Touch, Haste, Hexproof, Indestructible, Lifelink, Menace, Protection, Reach, Trample, and Vigilance. I've made a few lists this week. I don't wasn't super happy with any of them. I don't think the best way to do this is to utilize this ability on your own i think what this is is this is graveyard hate in a very similar vein to anafenza where you do run some of those rattlesnakey cards like i'd run the new drake it has flying and pro red this guy gets flying and pro red and you can sack the drake to counter spell it targets you this seems like totally fine value but in general i'm going to be running assassin's trophy i'm going to be running snuff out i'm going to be running all these kill spells that nuke creatures and hose the graveyard with this guy because eventually this will be a very good win condition but in color you can't get a lot of these abilities easily you can't get double strike in these colors that's specifically something you have to kill an opponent's creature for and and that leads me to what might be my biggest complaint about this card because it's thematically linked to the eldrazi mm -hmm. right yep it would be exciting if it synergized with ingest it would be exciting if it worked well with like cranial extraction extirpate kind of effects right mm -hmm. yeah where if you exiled them from some other zone like a hand or a library whatever you could get, get the keyword abilities without necessarily having to jump through the hoop of like killing an indestructible creature like defeating a double striker in combat or whatever you did to kill it maybe this was just too conservative to be exciting to me i'm not a big fan of this card oh no i don't think any of us are I, I think this is going to be if not the least popular sultai commander of all time the second least popular <laughs> sultai commander of all time in the running for sure the only thing you can really do with it is a voltron strategy and it's a voltron strategy that requires a lot more work than other comparable yeah. voltron commanders to get back to the five four thing now the last few years they printed a ton of five fours for four I think that is R&D's like platonic ideal of a commander at this point. Storev, Neheb 3.0, Rayami, and Marisi both are. So I think we're just going to, this is going to be a very standard cost and amount for commanders moving forward. To use the four mana five, four as a paradigm here, <laughs> Tongarth, 
first mate is two red green for a five five it's a legendary minotaur warrior tongarth first mate can't be blocked by more than one creature whenever an opponent attacks with one or more creatures if tongarth is tapped you may have that opponent gain control of tongarth until end of combat if you do choose a player or planeswalker that opponent is attacking tongarth is attacking that player or planeswalker I think this is going to be a deck that we see just because the politics of it are fun. I don't think it's particularly strong. The obvious tech here is to give it menace. You, you can't block it. Your opponents might not have creatures. If you give them creatures, maybe they'll attack with them. If your opponents just aren't attacking, play those effects that make them attack. So Fumiko <laughs> the Low Blood is an example yeah. of that effect in these colors. There are going to be politics around this. A fun little line of play is if you can get a chitinous cloak equipped onto him, he'll have menace and plus two plus two. So a seven seven that can't be blocked. If three of you can agree that one person has to go, you can just vote that fourth player right off the island and have Tongarth ready to go on your turn. I didn't feel like Tangarth really needed a new version. I actually like the old version more than this one. I would have preferred like an Orem. I would like to see what like oh, a yeah. modern day Orem would have done. Oh, definitely. Old Orem was super Was, was just powerful. a card that already existed. It was like this, okay, Master Healer is better than this and Master Healer's not good. Like Yeah, um, whereas Tangarth like he gives you a way to interact with your opponents. Mm-hmm. He's one of the few commanders that fight. This guy just seems like a vanilla beater to me and that's not exciting but i posted this opinion in a couple public forums and got pilloried for it (laughs) (laughs) but it'll just be so fun is presumably what people are banking on okay you know that's giving it to an opponent and using the oh the commander damage is still ticking up yeah you know people like it so this is Vorath the Shape Stealer, a 7-5 shapeshifter for two black, green, blue. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put a minus one, minus one counter on up to one target creature. Then for one generic, until your next turn, Volrath the Shape Stealer becomes a copy of target creature with a counter on it, except it's a 7-5 and it has this ability. When I was discussing this with my wife, her first thought was... My wife. My wife <laughs> was to... Get a counter on a creature with infect. Seven infect is very, very close to dead. And assuming the infect creature was there before Volrath was, you, you might even have hit him once or twice before that. So there's lots of good ways to get counters on stuff on the cheap or with your mana base. And you can kind of jump this from body to body. So if you can get a counter on a creature that is, say, unblockable, you can make him unblockable, swing after blocks make him the infect creature and uh get that get that clock going generous patron is actually hilarious in this deck because it's whenever you put a counter on an opponent's creature you draw a card it doesn't care if it's a minus one minus one counter like hapatra players play this card a lot so every turn you're going like i'm gonna shrink your guy and then you draw a card flavor win vadi ildal is oh, really yeah. good i actually mm-hmm. would run the polymorphous jess in this list if all of your opponent's creatures have minus one minus one counters and you turn them into frogs they just all die. <laughs> yeah. So that's on the cheap. That's like for the new card is two mana. The that one is three mana. That one's an instant. Polymorphous Jess is a one blue blue instant. Uh, opponents creatures become one one frogs with no abilities until end of turn. That's awesome. So like, there's cool stuff like that. But then there's also like cool things you might want to turn your guy into. When you're a seven five cold ice elky, 
you have island walk so you hit whoever with island walk and you draw seven cards the same is true with cephalid constable where they mill seven. Oh uh, no it's when cephalid constable deals combat damage to a player return up to that many target permanents that oh. player controls Ooh, to their owner's that's hand pretty brutal yeah, yeah dream yeah. stealer is in the same vein it's they discard seven cards <laughs> needle specter is the same they discard seven cards like so there's a few super spicy creatures that yeah. are awesome i was running unspeakable symbol in this list just to make that easy and so. the fact that they just kind of went big on this and gave it seven instead of making you do the work and figure oh, out I how know. to get I there love that thank it's you wizard beautiful and and it's just funny even if you whiff with the infect plan right like you hit them once and they deal with that board you're still seven commander damage in like yeah. they're still on the second turn of that three turn clock yeah if you really like wicker bow elder like you can just recharge your wicker bow elder i don't know there's just like a bunch of ways like a bunch of places to hang your hat up on this guy and do some really cool stuff if you want to just put a bunch of counters on your guys if you want to play loyal guardian and like master biomancer and like whenever you play a guy they get bigger and then you don't have to worry about like putting a counter on stuff this deck is really cool i actually liked it a lot and i think you will too so that concludes the commanders let's go into the long march of new cards we'll start with white because we were speaking earlier about whether or not this was successful first card cliffside rescuer one white for a core soldier it is a 2-2 with vigilance and tap sacrifice this target permanent you control gains protection from each of your opponents until end of turn and that means that nothing any of your opponents control can block target damage enchant or equip whatever you targeted it doesn't really seem to have a home and it doesn't compare well to effects that kind of feel pretty similar so selfless spirit is at the same point on the curve gives your board indestructible mother of runes you don't have to sacrifice and it only gives protection from one color but how often are you going to need protection from literally everything is probably just some piece of removal or some blocker that you're trying specifically to avoid even if you're recurring it it's probably coming at a cost like an opportunity cost yeah so what aren't you casting in order to cast this i agree for like a one shot effect I would much prefer if this was like a flash creature that had on ETB as opposed to I have to put this on the board, wait a whole round of turns for it to lose summoning sickness, and then sacrifice it to activate as opposed to I know it's going to be useful when I need it because I'm just going to cast it right out of my hand. Does it solve the problems of white and commander? No. No. Moving on. Next card is commander's insignia. It is two white white for an enchantment. Creatures you control get plus one plus one for each time you've cast your commander from the command zone this game. It's best with partners and there are no mono white partners. Mm. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I think this can get to the point where it's good enough as an anthem, especially in partner decks. That's kind of it. If you have a partner deck that has a token theme, this seems reasonable to run. I think actually Safar is one of the only decks that's going to want to run this because you'd get her out so cheap and easily that eventually your crappy little flyers are going to be 4-4s. Four Maybe risk the Redeemed or Taunt oh. of the Blood Sower yeah. partner decks. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll know when you want it. Moving on to the next card. This is Doomed Artisan. Two and a white for a 1-1 one, one human artificer. Sculptures you control can't attack or block. At the beginning of your end step, create a colorless sculpture artifact creature token with this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of sculptures you control. I'm not a huge fan of this card. Even in white decks that want sack fodder, it's pretty slow. There's just better options. Moving on. Mandate of Peace. 
One in white for an instant. Cast this spell only during combat. Your opponents can't cast spells this turn. End the combat phase, which means remove all attackers and blockers from combat. Exile all spells and abilities from the stack, including Mandate of Peace. This is a really neat effect. It kind of is going to play sort of like a time stop. It's going to prevent a combat step. It'll make it so anything they haven't done so far in the turn, they're not gonna. Worst case scenario, it'll probably play as a fog, which seems decent. But if we're looking at whether or not this solves White's problems, it can only counter spells that are cast during combat. It's not allowing you to be proactive in a meaningful way. It's an instant that you use once. It's not solving the problems you have with like card parity. Yeah, the fact that it exiles itself and makes it hard is tricky. I think it's cool in like decks that make tokens that end at end of combat. But I think it's cooler if you can set up the stick combo with Isochron Scepter. But it's like, you know, Orm's Chant adjacent. It's one card you get at one time. So it's a cool effect. I hope they keep trying. I don't think this is the right direction. It's a good effort. So this is Song of the World Soul. This is an enchantment. It is four white white. It has whenever you cast a spell, populate. That can be a lot of populates. It can. I guess the obvious comparison here is Inexorable Tide. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Inexorable Tide sees a ton of play, relatively speaking. It's in 20% of like 15 different decks Mm -hmm. on EDH rec, and it's got the same general structure of like do a game action each time you cast a spell, and it's at a similar price. But man, it takes a ton of setup. You need spells to cast first off. You need a token on the battlefield to copy, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of exemplary of the criticism that a lot of people have of commander where it's a format where you play five mana do nothing spells but this costs six so yeah it's even (laughs) below that mark you're going to remember the games where this card does a lot and you're going to forget the games where it doesn't do a lot which is probably going to be most of them yeah i'm not in love with this card i just don't think there's that many strong tokens to populate i don't want to work this hard for four four rhinos thalia's geist caller Two and a white for a 3-1 human cleric with lifelink. Whenever you cast a spell from your graveyard, create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. And sacrifice a spirit, Thalia's Geistcaller gains indestructible until end of turn. It seems bad. Like, I just think that this should not have been printed, or at least not printed like this. Burning one of our commander precon slots. Yes, there's so many knobs they could have tweaked on this card that would have made me go like, oh, cool. Gets cute. You sack the token you made to protect your token generator. Like, that's like such bad value. Like the turn timber sower that we got a few years ago that just like was so little value. Every year there's one of these cards where it's like tricks you into thinking it's going to do a lot and doesn't do anything. Yeah, if it casts a broader net of protection, right? Like if the spirit could give any creature indestructible, mm-hmm. like that might make this an appealing card in black maybe, right? Like because mm-hmm. Kess, Moldrotha, Carador, like they're going to be casting lots of spells, not just like flashback spells that you'll never get oh, yeah. again. Yeah. It's not solving why it's problems in Commander. Definitely not. This is Mass Diminish. This is one and a blue for a sorcery. Until your next turn, creatures target player controls have power and toughness 1-1. One, one. It also has flashback for three and a blue. I think most of the time I'd prefer Polymorphous Jest. Removing the abilities of the creatures, which this does not do, is, in my view, the larger portion of the effect. (laughs) Because it's going to allow you to solve more problems. So making things 1-1 is really good in like a combat situation, but it's basically only good in a combat situation. Yeah. Removing abilities from creatures can make it so that like combos fail to work and interactions like don't function properly. 
and it just broadens the card out in a way that this doesn't especially given that this is a sorcery so you need to know yeah. like ahead of time that you want everything to be a one one next card sudden substitution it is two blue blue for an instant with split second which means as long as it's on the stack players can't cast spells or activate abilities that aren't mana abilities exchange control of target non-creature spell and target creature then the spells controller may choose new targets for it i am pretty big on split second cross and grip owes almost all of its use in commander to that keyword alone <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah as compared to say naturalize kind of the nice thing right is this can go either way you can trade a mediocre spell for a good creature you can trade a mediocre creature for a good spell it's a bit cost prohibitive but most exchange effects are going to be so i don't necessarily see that as being the nail in the coffin for this thing this is the kind of thing that if you could have it as your commander and reliably have it it would be so exciting i like this for just potentially messing with two opponents rather than trading my stuff for theirs i think getting one person's commander under another person's control even if it's not under your control is still pretty brutal for Mm -hmm. a lot of decks oh yeah i agree with that all right the next card is thought sponge this is a one one sponge for three and a blue it has flash it also has thought sponge enters the battlefield with a number of plus one plus one counters on it equal to the greatest number of cards an opponent has drawn this turn then when thought sponge dies draw cards equal to its power bad yeah bad not good it reads like it should have plagiarizes effect where you draw the cards instead of Mm -hmm. them so like instead of them drawing a card this gets a counter Mm -hmm. it does not read that way yeah and that really makes it suffer it doesn't even have flying did they forget that notion thief existed did they forget that plagiarize exists like for four mana i would rather just draw like right yeah i would rather have all of the cards yeah just give me the cards i don't want both of us to have cards i want me to have the cards if this was white maybe we'd be talking (laughs) (laughs) it's not so i don't think any of us like this card uh so wall of stolen identity is the next card it is a three and a blue for a shapeshifter wall Uh, it's a zero zero but that doesn't really matter because you may have wall of stolen identity enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield except it's a wall in addition to its other types and has defender when you do tap the copied creature and it doesn't untap during its controller's untap step for as long as you control wall of stolen identity i think this is hilarious oh yeah i'm I'm very big on this Mm -hmm. so this is one of the hexproof dodgers that was alluded to earlier it again is blue blue might not need the help in dealing with hexproof hexproof things but the fact that this at no point targets the thing that it copies and then taps it down means that this will probably still be a lot of value for you if you can get something with a tap ability and like deny your opponent that i think that's the best case scenario otherwise it's kind of just like a weird bad removal spell there are a lot of commanders where the entire appeal of them is a tap ability shutting those down and taking that for yourself I'm excited to see more takes on clones. Mm -hmm. I would like to see more iterations on things that they already know are good, as opposed to like, maybe we can make this exchange control effect good this time. I also do want to say the one one deck that actually kind of actively wants Wall of Stolen Identity is Arcades the Strategist because you not only cloned something and tapped something down, you got a defender so you drew a card and it probably attacks just as fine. So in that instance, I think it's probably the best case scenario for this guy. So the next card is Archfiend of Spite. It's five black black for a demon, 6-6, six, six, with flying. 
Whenever a source an opponent controls deals damage to Archfiend of Spite, that source's controller loses that much life unless they sacrifice that many permanents. And it has <laughs> Madness, three, black, black. The Madness is actually very aggressive on this demon. Like, if you can actually just reliably Madness it out, it's a great, great, like, big, beefy boy. Yeah, a big, a big beater. A big beater. And it, especially with the Madness, basically it has Flash, if you can do that. So I like that they're playing in that space of like, you know, Madness is really good as like a rattlesnake thing. Mm -hmm. So they put a couple cards in that really do punish people. This would be especially bad to just face check into a 6-6 flyer with this downside. I might just be hard to please. Uh, I saw this and thought of a Phyrexian Obliterator. And the fact that they get the choice not to lose a bunch of permanents seems like a pretty big downgrade i'm not totally convinced that it needed to give them the option but i totally agree i think it probably should have just been loses that much life because the permanence thing is it's not gonna happen they'd sooner die like giving your opponents choices is never good i think honestly if it only lost life too we could have gotten some mana shaved off of it i think the the uh, ability for it to maybe sack permanence is the reason why the madness is five and the regular cost is seven <laughs> but moving on to bone miser Oh, I like this guy a lot. Yeah, I yeah, recognize yeah, yeah. this guy. Yeah. <laughs> this art was originally for Waste Knot. It was not selected for the, the final card. Yeah, for the You Make the Card Challenge a few years ago. But you'll see that there's a connection in the mechanics. <laughs> it is four and a black for a 4-4 four, four zombie wizard. Whenever you discard a creature card, create a 2-2 two, two black zombie creature token. Whenever you discard a land card, add black black. And whenever you discard a non-creature, non-land card, draw a card. One use came to mind immediately because I have the deck. Mm. It seems really good in Verena Lich Queen. It's got the relevant creature type. The tokens are also of the relevant type. Verena does a ton of looting. Whenever a zombie you control attacks, you can draw and discard. And then when you discard land cards, you get free mana, which you can then activate Verena. And then exile cards you don't need out of your graveyard to make more zombies. It's also just very strong in lists that have a lot of cycling lands. Yeah. It essentially makes it so that cycling lands is free or could potentially net mana, depending on the which land one you're cycling. Yeah, yeah, which one you used. Yeah, so if, if you're running a deck that naturally has a lot of those, it could be quite good there. Mm-hmm. Or if your commander is a discard out. Like, I've heard some people talk about playing it in Lord Windgrace because that deck has a lot of cycling lands. It has a lot of ways to discard lands as well, like Ayula's Influence. Next is... Curse of Fool's Wisdom. It is four black black for an enchantment or a curse. It has enchant player. Whenever enchanted player draws a card, they lose two life and you gain two life. And it has madness for three black. It's an auto include in Angie because it's got (laughs) madness. I really can't wait till we get a curse commander, but I don't see where else it could possibly fit. It seems really slow for Nekusar. There is kind of a humorous interaction in Villas with this. If you place it on yourself, you will draw your entire library, but that will probably kill you. So good luck figuring out what to there do with that. Go. Yeah. Well, if you run an instant speed way to get rid of Vilas and like interrupt it, there's some cards like Calling the Weak or Sacrifice. This is a very interesting one. This is Gift of Doom. It's four and a black for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature. Enchanted creature has death touch and indestructible. It also has morph, so you can play it face down as a 2-2 colorless, nameless, typeless creature for three generic mana. And you can unmorph it by sacking another creature. 
It has when Gift of Doom is turned face up, you may attach it to a creature. Morph is a special game action. It doesn't use the stack like most other interactions. So essentially anytime that you have priority, you can pay the cost sacrificing a creature and turn this face up. As part of that action, you'd attach it to something, which essentially gives this ability pseudo split second, the ability to give a creature death touch and indestructible. Most opponents are not going to think like their last chance to kill a target is the moment you declare that you're casting a morph. This will probably often protect a creature that your opponents thought was wide open. I don't really know when I'm going to need this effect. If you have like a Voltron commander that wants other creatures around for some reason. I um, mean, there's a lot of like floaters in yeah, black and black uh, X. You'll get some value out of protecting your commander and that sack of creature cost won't be quite so steep. So the next card, we have a decent amount to talk about uh, mm -hmm. in so much as it expands this color's pie. Yeah, yeah, it kind of expands every color's pie in a way. It opens up a conversation about mm. that, at least. It is Mire in Misery. One in a black for a sorcery. Each opponent sacrifices a creature or enchantment. Probably not going to play this card. I have a pretty high opinion of this card as a card, mm -hmm. but I also have a pretty high opinion of what this card represents. Mm -hmm. In my view, this seems like it compares decently well to, say, Plague Crafter or Fleshbag Marauder, something like that. Mm -hmm. The card you lose is Mire and Misery. The card each opponent loses is a creature or enchantment. So you're getting the same rate. Obviously, it's not a creature, which is a lot of the appeal of those other cards. But if you can use it multiple times, I think it might be worth it. But perhaps more interesting is that what this card is doing is taking something that Black does really well, which is make sure that no opponent has a creature, and is subsidizing something that it can't do, which is destroying enchantments, on the condition that it did the thing that it can do really well. Kind of by that same reasoning, one can imagine, say, a red spell that is... Each opponent sacrifices an artifact or enchantment. Right, sure. But you, you can kind of imagine this in any color, where you can bend their pie to do something, given that they've already done the thing that they do well. I am not a fan of this card. I think it is too big of a hoop to have to clear the board in order to hit the enchantment. Yeah. And maybe then it's, it's still possible that you're not hitting the enchantment you want. When I saw this spoiled on Marco's Water's Twitter, I brought up, it's cool that we're getting this type of effect in black. It'd be much cooler to get like spot enchantment removal because I just don't think this is going to kill the thing that's killing me. And Mark Rosewater's quote was, we are going to make enchantment removal possible for black, not easy. So I don't think we're going to get like destroy target creature or enchantment. We're not going to get like a mono black mortify, maybe ever, unfortunately. So if you're hoping for this as a, a portent of stronger cards to come, keep hoping. This is Nightmare Unmaking. It is three black black for a sorcery. Choose one. Exile each creature with power greater than the number of cards in your hand or exile each creature with power less than the number of cards in your hand. So it's a little strange that it can't kill creatures with power equal to the number of cards in your hand, <laughs> but black decks are pretty good at keeping their hands stocked up, so I think this will most often kill things with less power than mm -hmm. the number of cards in your hand. 
this card is trying to trick you into using it to like thread some kind of needle where it's a one-sided sweep and honestly it's just going to be way way too hard to pull that off like all my creatures have less than two power and i have three cards in hand like haha look how clever i was just it's going to be zero or seven this is a hellbent or wisdom split card yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's fine i mean like even if you're just like exile all things with power five or less that's most boards most yeah. of the time that, like, so I, this card's great even though this card is a little bit situational we don't currently have a critical mass of black board wipes that cost five or less yeah. so i think it will see play yeah i'm definitely gonna play this card this yeah. is awesome i think it's interesting that toxic deluge was first printed in a commander precon and this is first printed in a commander precon I would really like to see more things like that. Like black can have mass creature destruction, but we just don't want to be printing it in standard legal sets. Let's get it into the format through the precons. That's great. And they should be thinking about doing that for other effects where we just don't have enough members of that effect, like white disenchant effects. Uh, I was just going to ask, did you mean like white disenchant? That's effects? exactly what I mean. <laughs> this is thieving amalgam. Uh, this is a 6-7 seven for 7 mana, 5 black black. It's an ape snake. And at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, you manifest the top card of that player's library. So you take their top card, play it face down on your field as a 2-2 two, two colorless, nameless, typeless creature. And you can also, if it's a creature, you can pay its cost and flip it face up. And then it has whenever a creature you control but don't own dies, its owner loses 2 life and you gain 2 life. This is better than Verdant Force, and if you can just ever flip up a creature, like upgrade from a 2-2 two -two to whatever it might be, you're probably set. You don't have to do anything to make this card good, and if you can do that one time, holy cow, like you're just way ahead. I didn't like this card at first because it was so expensive, and then I realized that was my bias towards like the format becoming faster. <laughs> but I actually do really like this guy now. Yeah, it compares very, very well to Verdant Force. And to demonstrate how relevant that is, Verdant Force actually sees quite a lot of play if you go check on EDH mm -hmm. Rec. But something to kind of note about that is a lot of the decks that play Verdant Force care about tokens, or more specifically, they care about saplings. Yeah. So despite having a really favorable comparison, it might see less place unless you can either take advantage of the manifest or take advantage of the controlling creatures you don't own. I don't actually know if Verdant Force is the right card to compare this to. A better card to compare this to might actually be Tender Shoot Dryad. Like Tender Shoot Dryad is generally just a stronger version of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's going to give you a better gauge of how strong this card is to say that it costs two more than Tender Shoot Dryad rather than it costs one less than Verdant Force. But I agree with what you said that like a lot of Verdant Force's play is in decks that care about the Sapperlings. So this card is probably going to be limited to the decks that care about the face downness. Kadena, yeah. I can imagine oh, like. some scenario in the future where you want colorless creatures or you want things you don't own. Like there, there's so many angles this card is coming at you with. I can imagine at some point in time one of them is relevant. Like Marieki might mm -hmm. like this just because when you Gatling gun their board, it'll allow you to also oh, you Gatling gun their life total. Yeah, that's mm. true. That's a good one. Do we want to talk about Backdraft Hellkite? Please. Yeah, so this is a 4-4 flying dragon for 3 and red red, so 5 CMC. Whenever Backdraft Hellkite attacks, each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard gains flashback until end of turn. The flashback cost is equal to its mana cost. 
I think that this is very slow. I think that when you have something good, it's a must kill. When you don't have something good, people will let it live. But there's also just like not that many things that do this, especially if you're doing like mono red. This might just be good enough to play sometimes. Like it just might give you just enough value to get that second past in flames off when you need it. Past in flames being active in the graveyard helps that card along quite a lot. The number of times I've just seen someone like flip their deck into their graveyard mm -hmm. and go, oh, there's my past in flames, which I knew it would be exactly where it was always meant to be. The fact that you need to jump through an additional hoop of getting a creature onto the battlefield means that this will be significantly less strong. But with that said, as Zach mentioned, it's this or past in flames. Those are your choices. Yeah, there's just not a lot. Also, I think that past in flames, because it happens at most twice, mm -hmm. really encourages like I'm going to combo off and win. Whereas backdraft Hellkite, because it can happen every turn, it can work in a slower sort of yeah. grinding out value play mm -hmm. style. And like I said, I don't think it's going to die all the time if you don't have something like really crazy in the graveyard if people go oh you have like a faithless looting a tormenting like if you just have like a by force or something like that next card is dockside extortionist it is one in red for a one two goblin pirate when it enters the battlefield create x treasure tokens where x is the number of artifacts and enchantments your opponents control this seems like it has a really high floor Theoretically, it can give you no treasures at all, mm -hmm. but there are going to be very, very few boards that you're not going to get at least a couple of treasures, mm -hmm. which will allow you to take his two mana and move it into another turn. Mm -hmm. That seems pretty strong. Yeah, I think as soon as you're getting more than two mana, this guy's nuts and like super worth it. And that's like discounting all the trash for treasure effects in red where you can cash in treasure for things and all the other uses for it. So this is awesome. I'm super excited about this. I think that like the fact that this guy's only in a commander deck means that he's going to be more expensive than he should be if he was in like a standard legal set. Yeah, I think this card is very powerful. There's so many things you can do with it. The easy answer is you Deadeye Navigator and infinite mana. Okay, moving past that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of decks where you can just kind of play through your library and the only limiting factor is how much mana you have. Yeah. So a good example of that would be Zeta Hedron Grinder where it's like every time you cast one of these one mana cantrips, you draw like eight cards and probably get another cantrip, but you just need to make sure you have the mana so you can keep yeah. going. <laughs> so this thing, the fact that it's so cheap, it's just two mana, but will likely produce a lot more than that will help you keep going in those combo scenarios. I think floor is it's a grim monolith and then it can potentially do a lot more than that. And of course, if you have like a Kiki deck that runs Umbral Mantle or Sword of the Parons, a way to like put in mana and untap Kiki then that's also infinite mana. So I think we're all super high on this card. I think you should be too, but not too high because I don't want to be too much money. I need to pre-order <laughs> a lot of these. Yeah, yeah. So everyone calm down for a second and then go crazy. Hate Mirage, three and red for a sorcery. Choose up to two target creatures you don't control. For each of those creatures, create a token that's a copy of that creature. Those tokens gain haste. Exile them at the beginning of the next end step. The sorcery card typing is really bringing this down. This mm -hmm. wants to be a combat trick so badly. They made that card once. It was blue. It's very good with Brutoclad. Yes. Seems decent with Yurid as well. Next card is Ignite the Future. This is three and a red for a sorcery. It has exiled the top three cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards. If the spell was cast from a graveyard, you may play cards this way without paying their mana costs. It also has flashback for seven and a red, so eight mana, to flash it back and cast them for free. 
on its surface it's basically red harmonize late game and or if you can cheat the cost on it perhaps with the past and flames or whatever that dragon you cast three spells for free that's awesome like there's just so much value in this card even if you just do the front end turn eight you do the back end that's a ton of value off of one card and i'm super happy about it yeah i think this could be a red staple i'm just upset again there's no reason for this to be expensive it just does a good thing but again, I think because these cards are only printed in these commander decks. I was thinking that about Dockside Extortionist. Like, mm-hmm. Treasure is evergreen now. We just saw it in a core set. Like, Dockside Extortionist could have been printed in any set. It could have been printed in M20. Yeah, this would not break standard at all. And in it would any be way. a 50 cent card instead of like a guaranteed $5 card. Yeah, crazy. It's going to be this, this one too, the Ignite the Future. I understand it has flashback, but like, this wouldn't have broken standard. The next card is Skyfire Phoenix 2. Red Red for a 3-3 Phoenix, Flying, Haste. When you cast your commander, return Skyfire Phoenix from your graveyard to the battlefield. A 3-3 Flying Haste body, to me, doesn't mean anything in commander. So You can sacrifice it. Yes. The limit of its usefulness. Exactly. That's, that's how I see this card. Any card that can bring itself from the graveyard to the battlefield, I'm already thinking about what kind of value engines can I feed it into to generate some kind of resource. Mm-hmm. But although some decks will cast their commander a fair amount in the game, like partner commander as well, but mm-hmm. most decks don't plan on casting their commander a whole bunch of times. And even if they do, there's more efficient sack fodder, flame weak phoenix, for example. Yeah. Or, or if you're running a sacrifice oriented deck, you probably have like a lot of goblin token generators, which are much more efficient than this. Or if you're in black, you have self-recurring creatures that are also way more efficient than this. The only thing I can think of that I haven't been able to explore is Squee 2.0. Like maybe because uh. you can cast it from your grave in exile and stuff. Like maybe there's some combo potential there. So you have a way to reduce Squee's cost by one, like a mm. fire medallion. Mm-hmm. And then you have like a Phyrexian altar or a Thermopod. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah. And then that's infinite loops. And then you're almost there. Yeah, I don't it's know. Still a lot of cards. Yeah, there's something going on. Tutor. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's what the only thing I could really think of. I, there might be something. There might not be something there. But like the fact that it's in a weird color is interesting. The next guy. It is Tectonic Hellion. Five red red for an eight five Hellion with haste. Whenever it attacks, each player who controls the most lands sacrifices two lands. Give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. Thumbs down. All right. Thumbs up or thumbs down? It's a thumbs down, viewers at home. All right. (laughs) Thumbs down for me too. It could hit you. It's probably going to hit you. You're going to ramp up to this and it'll make you sacrifice your lands. This is not a good answer to the ramp player for sure. It costs seven. Ruination exists. Moving on. So this is Wildfire Devils. Uh, This is a 4-2 devil for three in a red. Whenever Wildfire Devils enters the battlefield and at the beginning of your upkeep, choose a player at random... That player exiles an instant or sorcery card from their graveyard. Copy that card. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. I actually love this guy. In some ways, it's meta dependent. If you're only playing in creature-based decks, this isn't going to do anything. But this seems like at most shops, it's going to have decent targets. I have a lower take on this, but I'm the kind of player who 20% of my decks run no instants or sorceries. <laughs> and I expect other people to like play that same way. <laughs> the reality is it's probably going to be a lot better than that. It's not going to be like whiff 20% of the time, yeah. but it's something to watch out for. Yeah, I think if you're in a meta where like everyone sort of has the understanding that they should all be running like 10 spot removal spells, this will probably generate good value for you over the course of a game. And this is the last red card. I just want to say, 
Red got a lot of good stuff. Yeah, Red was killing it. Yeah, Red had some of its problems solved. Backdraft Hellkite, Dockside Extortionist, Ignite the Future, Wildfire Devils. Those cards range from like, this is a combo piece that you will play to like, this is a pretty decent engine. This is yeah. a really good showing for Red. Wizards must have latched on to some sort of design space. It's like the impulse drawing kind of like I, randomly getting value. Yeah, I think they figured out what they want Red's multiplayer to be at this point. They've kind of figured out what's fun, what's in color pie, and I very much appreciate that. Whoever at Wizards is advocating for mono red decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Just please, please, Not we got to find yet. it for white. Yeah, yeah, someone, someone please. But moving on to green, do you want to read this guy off? Yeah, so this is Apex Altisaur, 7 green green for a 10-10 dinosaur. When Apex Altisaur enters the battlefield, it fights up to one target creature you don't control. In Rage, whenever Apex Altisaur is dealt damage, it fights up to one target creature you don't control. So it fights until you tell it to stop. And then the next time it gets blocked or is a blocker, it does that again. I think this compares favorably to Azuri's Predation. It's one more mana, but it's in a type that's much more relevant to green because it can be tutored and it can be recurred as a permanent. Azuri's Predation sees play in some green decks that care about instants and sorceries and decks that animate lands. This could fight a lot of lands before it died, (laughs) but it's nine mana. So at that cost, it had better do something. If you make oh, this Galta indestructible, it will fight everything to death. Is oh, hilarious. that's tight. What from, if you have a Vigor? This is some say. pretty cute spot removal tech for the kinds of decks that prefer 9 mana 10-10s to 1 <laughs> mana swords. <Yeah. laughs> you know, they, they're out there. Your mile deck might like this more. I do like that point that it is a lot easier to tutor for than Azuri's Predation. That's yeah, it really point. is. And it's going to do a lot of kind of the same things that you're looking for Azuri's Predation to do. Yeah. And there's goofier things you can combo with. The funny thing about green is because they have so many tutors, they just have to make one mistake and then it's over. It's over. Yeah. We finally got the green one-sided board wipe. This is the green Plague Wind that you can tutor <laughs> out with at, your 10 tutors. At the same CMC as Plague Wind, even. Mm-hmm. Every game you want it, you will have this in your hand. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to full flowering. This is XX green for a sorcery. Populate X times. I find this card very hard to evaluate just because you don't necessarily know what kind of token you're making. I would probably play Gelatinous Genesis before I played this most Mm -hmm. of the time. If you're playing either of these, you likely intend to have a bunch of mana. I'm going to evaluate pretty much all these populate cards as if I'm making rhinos. That seems like an okay shorthand for me. That's a good spot. Three for one rhino seems pretty weak. Five for two rhinos also seems kind of weak. Seven for three, not loving that. So I'm down on this card. Yeah, it is just beef unless you're doing something with it. Moving on. Oran Frostfang. Three green green for a two six snow creature. Yeah. Attacking creatures you control have death touch. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. I'm very high on this card. It is so good with yeah. trampling creatures. Sorok Dragonclaw <laughs> and Mina and Den can get whatever they like in and get those cards. Yeah, I just really like this. It's just Coastal Piracy is like so good in so many lists, and this expands that into green, finally. Yeah, you can tutor it out because it's a creature. And then the Death Touch is really great, too. I would probably run this in any green token deck because it doesn't matter if all my guys are 1-1s. Like, I'm going to attack with these 5-1-1s into your army, and you can either give me a card by having it trade with a creature, or you can give me a card by letting it hit you. 
The decision is yours. <laughs> yeah, Death Touching Ophidians just they always get you a card, so giving that to even really awful creatures is a huge, huge benefit. Yeah, I, I love this thing. Also, it is six toughness for five mana, so if you have some sort of toughness-based deck, wow. it, it's a good way to help you redraw your cards after you commit a bunch of tasseled dromedaries to the battlefield. <laughs> The next card is Road of Return. It is green, green for a sorcery, so two CMC. It has choose one, return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand, or put your commander into your hand from the command zone, or you can entwine for two generic. This is a weird card. It is a weird card. So Nature's Spiral, which is kind of the first half of this, mm -hmm. doesn't really see much play. But the second ability is something that's very rare. So Command Beacon, right? Uh, you could sacrifice that to put your commander into your hand. And Command Beacon's rulings read, if you cast a commander from your hand, the additional cost based on the number of times you've cast it from your command zone, sometimes referred to as the commander tax, doesn't apply. Additionally, that casting won't add to the tax if you later cast the commander from the command zone. So this has kind of some interesting applications that Command Beacon might not. If you can find a spot in your hand for an extra card, you can potentially cast this to put your commander into your hand to avoid the first instance of command tax. And that line of play might make the nature's spiral half of this appealing enough that this will see play. I have a Jorel list where it's not rare for her to cost like 17 mana from just dying so often. So this is probably going to go in there because you're pitching two cards to activate her and she's going to cost a lot. That's kind of the only case I could think of. So maybe you at home can think of a case. Next, we have Celestia Eulogist. It is two and a green for a 3-3 three, three Centaur Druid. It has two and a green exile target creature card from a graveyard, then populate. Does this pass the Rhino test? in the early game it does not because you're not going to have the fodder like late game when you have a bunch of mana i could see that i'm not in love with it it's going to be one of the better rates for repeatable populate true but it's a horrible rate for exiling creatures from graveyards yeah, yeah. so your mileage will vary a lot not just from deck to deck but from game to game voice of many he's a three three elf druid for two green green when Voice of Many enters the battlefield, draw a card for each opponent who controls fewer creatures than you. If you're in a token list or like an elf list or something like that, that's probably going to be everyone else at the table. So assuming four-player game, you're drawing three cards off this guy. Like, things got to go right, but also it's not super hard to just like land a elf into guy into this and have three when everyone else has two. I feel like Harmonize is a benchmark that Green passed a while ago mm -hmm. in Commander. That's just me personally. And just the way kind of the format seems to have evolved, a lot of pickup groups and even most like play at home play groups are real cautious about playing in groups larger than three. That's you true. can't even guarantee this will trigger for each opponent with three being the ceiling on this and that ceiling shrinking as players get knocked out. I'm just not super enthused about it. But if you play in big play groups, it's worth doing. I agree with you that I think the format has surpassed Harmonize. I don't think it's great in just a random green deck, even if you are likely to have more creatures than your opponent. Where I do really like this is in the decks that care about its creature types. So in, say, Satin Druids, that deck is all about, like, well, my Druids basically cost one green less because they generate green. So I'm going to vomit out a bunch of Druids. And in that deck, you really just want Druids that do anything. And so a druid that will probably draw three cards is really solid. 
And I would say the same for decks that really care about elves. Those decks are also good at vomiting out a bunch of elves onto the board. And this is an elf that gets you value. I'm into it in, in those scenarios for sure. Next card is a doozy. Eon Engine. So five mana artifact enters the battlefield tapped. Tap, exile the engine, reverse the game's turn order. Not a line you hear very often. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I had trouble saying it even. This shocked many people. They're like, why would I want to do that? Well, listener, it's because you kind of time walk half the board. If you can make multiple of these, then you can make it so that you just flip which turn it is between you and someone else. And then most of the board doesn't get to play. There's a bunch of goofy things you can do with this, but this is actually a stronger effect than you might think. And also like denying someone a turn, like basically having the entire field time walk one person is also very strong, especially if you've begun a game of arch enemy with that person for whatever reason. Just to explain, I guess, if you're going clockwise, if you activate this on the person to your left's turn, it'll like bounce immediately back to you. You just had a turn. It's like an extra turn effect that's not in blue. which is almost unheard of. Did we mention the specific cards that let you copy it, though? Prototype Portal and Mechanized Production will allow you to do it. You probably want to alternate between your left and right opponents. Yeah, it'll wobble between you, the left, you, the right, you, the left, you, the right. So you'll get twice as many turns as them, and they'll be the only people playing. Because you need copy. It needs to pass your turn so it can bounce back to your turn and make another one. But no one said it'd be easy. It's, no, it's not, it's not easy. <laughs> this is definitely like got to be one of the hardest ways to not even take into To not turns. even win, yeah. But I think people will try. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the next card, Bloodthirsty Blade. It's a two-mana artifact equipment. A quick creature gets plus two plus O and is goaded. And it doesn't have an equip cost. It has one, attach Bloodthirsty Blade to target creature and opponent controls. Activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery. So basically you go like, hey, hey, buddy, hey, buddy, you want a knife? And you kind of throw a knife to whatever <laughs> creature. It's neat that it doesn't have equip. The only other equipment like this is Masterwork of Ingenuity. And I guess as a comment about the card's actual functionality, the vows don't see a lot of play, but you can use this more than once. It kind of reminds me of Gahiji. I think we're going to see this in many Gahiji lists from now on. Hmm. I think yeah. people are going to just do that. Next card. <laughs> Empowered Auto Generator. Four cost artifact, it enters the battlefield tap. Tap, put a charge counter on empowered auto generator. Add X mana of any one color where X is the number of charge counters on empowered auto generator. It seems a bit slow. Thran Dynamo and Gilded Lotus kind of offer pretty stiff competition here. I kind of looked at Prismatic Geoscope to see how much we might expect to see this. Uh, that sees play in a decent quantity of four and five color decks. It, it has domain. It makes a mana for each basic land type you control. If you are using a deck that can manipulate the number of counters on it, so Atraxa, Voral, if you're running like Voltaic and Manifold Keys and want to untap it a bunch, it's worth looking at. If Astral Cornucopia is good in your deck, take a hard look at this too. If you just need a mana rock, I would not run this. A little too clunky, mm-hmm. and it enters the battlefield tapped, and I think that's going to be kind of yeah, the largest Yeah, for four mana, too. Like, yeah. Thran Dynamo exists. It's, like, so yeah. hard to... And is reprinted in the set, so... So, next card, Idol of Oblivion. It's a two-mana artifact. It has tap, draw a card. Activate this ability only if you've created a token this turn. Eight, tap, sacrifice, Idol of Oblivion create a 10-10 colorless Eldrazi creature token. <laughs> Two mana, 
for the ability to draw a card each turn seems like a good rate to me. This reminds me a lot of Dragon's Horde, and in Dragon decks, Dragon's Horde is both popular and, from experience, pretty effective. This doesn't give you mana like Dragon's Horde does, but it is offering a fairly comparable incentive. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, there's so many commanders that make tokens yeah. that just, like, passively will make a token. Two mana, that's such a good rate for just, like, once a turn drawing an extra card. Right. Like, paying two generic for ostensibly, like, a Phyrexian Arena you didn't pay life for. Yeah, if you manage to draw off this three times in yeah. a single game, you got a really good deal. Yeah, that's insane. So, I actually really like this card in certain decks. Honestly, like, the ability to make the 10-10, like, it probably doesn't need to be on the card, but the fact that it's there just makes this really humorous in the context of Populate. So Scroll of Fate is a three mana artifact. It has tap, manifest a card from your hand. I love this thing. This is a great card. This is a great card. It reminds me a lot of Aether Vial in that it allows you to cheat through a lot of like problematic board states. So like counter magic, getting hate bears out without people knowing they're coming, things like that where you go, well, I'm declaring that I am putting a creature down. What do you want to do? This is yeah. your last chance. And then, oh, surprise, it was Gaddic Teague. Should have cast your X spells. It seems very, very strong. There are also plenty of morph creatures that their their casting cost is much cheaper than their unmorph cost, like Skin Thinner, Void Mage, Apprentice, things yeah. like that. Like the it's rate on stuff. that becomes so much better if the creature Fair is manifested. Spell Snatcher is the same. It's like three yeah. mana or something like that. Yeah. Or Fathom Seer, like mm -hmm. just paying the mana instead of having to bounce your lands. Hooded Hydra might be the most Ooh. techie Ooh, of the bunch because yeah. it doesn't care how it got flipped over, but two mana for a five five that'll die and make a bunch of snakes i really like it for cheating stuff onto the battlefield if you have a blink commander you just manifest your omniscience or whatever and then flicker it with your brago and then things are going to go well for you yeah, yeah that is a good one good. all right so i think we're going to end on this guy here we're, we're gonna boy. we're gonna dunk on a card here i yeah, think we've had a, a long day recording all our thoughts <laughs> you had a you. long Wales. you had a long day listening yeah, yeah. you Thank deserve you for... some making Some it catharsis yeah <laughs> a throwdown yes <laughs> so the last card is pendant of prosperity which is three mana for an artifact pendant of prosperity enters the battlefield under the control of an opponent of your choice Two, tap this is your opponent is going to be doing this Two, tap draw a card then you may put a land from your hand onto the battlefield pendant of prosperity's owner draws a card and then that player may put a land from their hand onto the battlefield. I'm at a loss for words. I mean, this is just, this is awful. This is quite bad. Yeah. So tempting offer cards, right? Do something. You mm -hmm. tempt with discovery and you get one land. And if your opponents are smart, they're going to form ranks and they're not going <laughs> to let you get more yes, lands. True. But at least you walked away with something. With this, you not only need to get someone to bite, you need to know which person was going to do it. This card does nothing unless that opponent is willing to give you the card back that you spent and spend two mana to do it. I pay three mana for nothing. It's a dark steel relic that I got ripped off on. Yeah, like it, it honestly, like the only line of play that makes sense with this is Zedru because it would be a dark steel relic that donated itself at least. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's it's just awful I'm, I'm not a fan of these kinds of effects normally but this just really takes the cake it makes your dockside extortionist better i don't like that they are exploring this design space please just make more utility cards like that <laughs> cool black wrath 
It has been a long road, but we finally done it. We uh, are at the end of the C19 full spoiler. This has been quite an experience as a player and quite an experience as a guest. Oh, yeah. I'd like to once again thank you for the opportunity to be here and speak with you about the format we all care about so much. Thank you for coming on the show, offering your insights, doing all the research necessary yeah. to, to figure out yeah, which of these cards are good or not. Yeah, this was uh, a big week and you helped out a ton. Yeah, which is yeah. You, you really pulled more than your weight. Many hands make light work. And thank you for sticking with us, everybody. It's a wild ride and it ain't over yet. Please let us know if you think that we missed any potential uses for these new cards, if you've got cool builds for these commanders. Yes. Some of these ideas that we've been talking about today wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't heard them from patrons or other people I've interacted with online. Mm -hmm. So your ideas are what helped make this show good. Also, we had to come up with multiple lists for 16 commanders in one week. So yeah. oh my God. W- there's very likely that we missed something or some interaction just because we had to like pedal to the metal on this stuff. So let us know. And do you want to thank some of our patrons real quick? I do. Thank you to Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Amond, Addison, Arthur, Mason, Will, Elvis, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Brock, Tom, the White Clays, Aubrey, and Hannah. It's because of your support that we're able to continue making the show. You may be able to hear some upgrades in the sound quality. That is thanks to your support. And we've got more new projects that we are putting your patronage towards. So yeah, it's really exciting. Tuned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're really excited for the future, and we hope you are too. I guess we'll talk to you guys later. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr. If you want to reach Zach, he is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter and Tumblr. The opening song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. We'll talk to you guys next time. <laughs>